Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation 21. Last week, we preached on hell. It was my first time ever preaching on that subject. Well, this week I want to preach on heaven or on heaven. I think it's fair. Revelation 21, we'll have a long reading, okay? I told you, the older I get, the longer I read and the shorter I try to preach. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. For God, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowels full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And it had a great high wall and twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, Verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life." Chapter 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with, a tw with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer there will be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Father, bless the reading of your word and also the exposition of it. Be glorified.
May Christ be exalted. Bless your people by your Holy Spirit, illuminating the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I told you that Revelation is, a, is an allegorical book. It presents the history of redemption, not the end times, but the entire package of redemption from beginning to end, from Genesis being redundant to Revelation, the history of Christ overcoming his people being persecuted in the world. But the subject of Revelation is, in the end, Jesus wins. And it ends in a paradise with a tree of life right where Adam failed. Disconnected on the sound. Okay, I'm back. Now, last week we considered the doctrine of hell. Today we'll look at the doctrine of heaven. And it's going to be a simple question. What is heaven? The Bible has a lot more to say about heaven, as a matter of fact, than about hell. It, it's kind of easier to comprise things to say about hell than to comprise them about heaven. Heaven would need a series, but I'm not going to do a series on heaven. I would like to read to you, and I don't know how the presentation is working on the screen, so bear with me because I have some reading to do. I'm using a lot from the late Edward Donnelly's book on heaven and hell. And he writes, while any thought of hell is anathema to most people, the doctrine of heaven is the most popular of Christian teachings. A poll taken in the United States in 1990 reported that 78% of those questioned claimed to believe in heaven. It's fascinating that people say, no, I don't believe in hell. God could not make hell. But yeah, when somebody dies, they went to heaven. Well, there's only one little problem. The same source that speaks about heaven is the same source that speaks about hell. So I either take them both or I reject them both. But I don't think I have the right to pick and choose which one I believe. Donnelly keeps saying, and now he speaks to perhaps people like us who believe in heaven, but don't think about it too much. He says, why is heaven neglected? Why many of us do not reflect on heaven nearly as much as we should? It is that we are too preoccupied with this present world. The very closeness of this world blocks out the infinitely vaster prospect of the glorious world which is to come. So we don't ponder about heaven because once we live here and we eat, the mind goes immediately on, okay, let me check the calendar for tomorrow. What are the meetings set up? What do I have to do? What are the emails start piling? There's people already writing emails. And I told Maria Luisa, if when I was afraid of losing my job, I didn't answer emails on Sundays, much less now that I'm not afraid of losing my job. So I'm not going to answer. I don't care who's writing. But we start looking like, oh, who's writing? Oh, there's this for tomorrow. And off we go. And our lives completely delve into the day-to-day of our routines. And why think about heaven? Who has time to think about heaven? What is heaven? Well, there's a lot to say about heaven, but I have some six or seven things to share with you this morning. The first one of which is, heaven is the church redeemed. Revelation 21.2 says, I saw the holy city, 
New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In the New Testament, who is the bride of Christ? The church. In the Old Testament, who is the wife of God who betrays him time after time and God keeps going after her to redeem her? Israel. The bride of God, the spouse of God, the wife of Christ is the church. And that is what Revelation is describing. Revelation is describing the dwelling place of God, the redeemed of the Lamb, the people of God, gloriously conquered at the end in heaven. The new Jerusalem, the new Zion. Jerusalem was called Zion, Mount Zion. Now John is saying this is the new Jerusalem, the gathering of all of God's people together. And if you notice, there is this foundations with the names of the 12 of Israel. And then there's this, or, or the gates. And then the foundations with the name of the 12 apostles. Notice, 12 apostles. There are no more apostles. There's 12 of them. And they appear there. Why? Because Paul says in Ephesians 3, the church, the people of God, have been constituted, formed from the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ being the chief cornerstone. So that is heaven. Heaven is God's people redeemed for all eternity. I know that some of you have been trained, and it's so hard to get this out of your mind, that heaven is this cube of 2,000 miles length, width, and breadth. Let me just ask you something silly. The God who made this earth that as we even saw last week, being accursed and under slavery as it is, is so gorgeous. It's going to confine us in a cube, an eternity? Guys, this is an allegorical book. It's not a literal description of this celestial cube, cube where we will be all inserted and live there forever. Heaven is a lot more than that. Heaven is the church coming down to be united forever to her bride, the Lord Jesus. And secondly, heaven is, is much more than a cube. Heaven is the presence or living in the presence of God's glory. Verse 21 or chapter 21, verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's a description. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And you have another quote there from Donnelly where he says, Heaven exists for God's glory, and it is essential that this be absolutely clear before we move on. Because if it is not, our whole concept of heaven will be poisoned by self-centeredness. We will have a degraded perspective, interested in heaven only for what we hope to get out of it, and that is profoundly wrong. In the Bible, heaven and God are sometimes used interchangeably. The parable, the parable of the prodigal son, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I've sinned against God and against you, says the prodigal. And we must never think of heaven apart from God. And that is key to understand the doctrine of heaven. Because there's a lot of people... 
there is a lot of Christians that have a very carnal view of heaven. Oh, heaven is this paradise of joy and delight. Not too different from the view of those jihadists that kill themselves to get a hundred virgins in a river of wine. And that's why they blow themselves. Well, sometimes Christians think of heaven along those lines. And heaven is primarily, primordially dwelling and living in the presence of God's glory, unveiled, manifested, displayed in grandeur. Genesis 1.1 says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So from the get-go, the Tanakh says the heaven has more than one place. Solomon, when he was dedicating his temple, he said, praying to God, the heavens of the heavens cannot contain you. So there seems to be more than one heaven. The Apostle Paul, the converted rabbi, spoke of this third heaven. Hebrews talks about heaven itself. And what is heaven itself according to the writer of Hebrews? It is this place where Christ entered after his death on the cross. He didn't go to hell, as I know the creed says, and some people think. Hebrews says, no, he went to heaven after his death, and presented himself as the perfect offerer and offering to redeem God's people. He went to the heavenly sanctuary. And that heaven is the place that Hebrews also says, Christ will bring many children into glory. Heaven is that Psalm 84 that you have heard that beautiful hymn from Maranatha back in the day, from the 70s, how lovely is your dwelling place, almighty God. That is heaven, the dwelling place of God, the place where God lies. In the language of Isaiah 11, you will see, not 11, I'm sorry, 33, 17, you will see the king in his glory. So what is heaven primarily? Heaven primarily is the place where God dwells, without veil, where his glory is manifested, where his presence is. Heaven, thirdly, is the new creation at regeneration. Verse 21, 5 in Revelation, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Remember when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about the resurrection or to the Sadducees? And he says in Matthew 19, At the regeneration, people will not marry or be given in marriage. What is that regeneration? That which Revelation 21.5 describes as God recreating, making all things new. It is a restoration of everything we know. In the language of Romans 8.21, it is releasing the creation we know from its current state of slavery 
and bondage to sin and bondage to decay and, and, and curse into the glory of the children of God. It's a new creation. I, I cannot even imagine it. I can let my imagination run wild, but I don't want to do that. But it is the end of the law of entropy. You've heard that, right? That in thermodynamics, entropy is that you, you put a system together and, and there's even an equation and a formula that, that defines it. In the course of time, randomly, it will sort of get disorganized. It will decay. We buy a new sofa, becomes old. We buy a new car. The nice new car smell goes away and it becomes old and we start to, to, to dish money just to keep it running. Anything we do, ourselves, our bodies become old and wrinkled and sick. <laughs> everything decays. Well, heaven is that state when God will renew everything and there's not going to be any decay, any more death, any more corruption, any more entropy. Heaven, fourthly, is that unrestricted view and that presence of Christ, the presence of the Lamb. Chapter 22 or verse 22 of chapter 21, I saw no temple in the city, for his temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamb, lamb is the Lamb. Donnelly says, the Bible's favorite way of describing heaven is not the least hard to understand, but so clear that a child can grasp it. In the New Testament, heaven is being with Christ. So you say, okay, what is heaven? Heaven is being with Christ. You say, but aren't we always with Christ? Yes, by faith. <laughs> but we don't touch him. We don't sense him. We, by the Spirit who dwells in us, through the eyes of faith, commune with him. When we celebrate communion as we will today, we will use elements to remind us of him, of his body and of his blood. And when we gather together as a church... Jesus promised that he will be in our midst. But, but where is he? Well, he is here. But we cannot see him. We believe it by faith. Well, in heaven, we will see it. We will be in the immediate, unrestricted presence of Christ. That's why Paul said in Philippians 1.13, I'd rather depart, I'd rather die, and be with Christ. Because that is much, much better in 2 Corinthians 4.8, he says, To be dead is to be absent from this body, but to be present with the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 4.17, when he describes the end, when Christ returns at the sound of the trumpet of the archangel, and he comes to gather his own and to transform those who are still alive, Paul says, and when that happens, we will be forever with the Lord in his immediate presence. The promise to the thief, to the repenting thief on the cross, was what? When he says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That is heaven. Again, I quote Donnelly. The redemption of sinners is at the heart of glory. 
God reveals himself perfectly in heaven, all his attributes will be displayed in fullness there. His supreme purpose is that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward those, toward us in Christ Jesus. Remember that passage in Peter where Peter says that the things that belong to salvation, the angels who are in heaven, are things that they long to look for. Know what the imagery of the verb is? It's like imagine this is a balcony. You probably do not know this, but in some of our countries, if you remember coming from Latin America, there's this, the gossipy lady in, the, in town that she's always in the window lurking to see what's going on in the neighborhood to check. Well, that's the verb. The angels are looking down, trying to grasp these things that pertain to salvation because the angels in heaven have no clue of what it is, the feeling of being forgiven. They have no idea about the feeling of receiving grace, receiving mercy. They have never sinned. They are the angels that are spotless. They have never rebelled. And those who rebelled with the devil have no chance of mercy. Hebrew says that. He didn't show mercy to the angels who fell, but to the children of Abraham. So an angel has no idea whatsoever of what we feel when we understand your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Now in heaven, we will experience that grace in measures that I cannot even describe to you. Because Ephesians 1, 7 says that. That the purpose of God is to show through the ages, through the eons and eons of eternity, how rich His grace and His mercy and His love to us has been in Christ Jesus. But there's something to me that is as fascinating as that about heaven. Heaven, it is not only that we will be in the presence of Christ. Heaven is that Jesus wants us to be with him. John 14, upper room discourse. Disciples are sad. He's already told them, I'm going, I'm going. I'm, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to suffer from the, from the hands of men. He says, but I don't want you to be disturbed. I don't want your heart to be shaken and to be despondent. Because in my father's house... There are many dwelling places, and I am going to prepare a place for you. And I know we have these carnal views of the mansions and glory. Well, I don't know exactly how that, that's going to work, honestly. Figures of speech. Jesus says, I have, to, I have to speak to you guys in earthly terms, because if I spoke to you in heavenly language, you would have no clue of what I'm talking about. So I have to use earthly allegory to connect with you right but whatever that means it means that jesus says i i'm going to prepare a place for you i want you guys to be with me now you said well that was the 12 disciples well in john 17 he asked his father father i desire i wish i have this ardent longing that where i am 
these may be also with me. And these are those 12 disciples, but in the prayer, those who would believe through their word. So heaven is also that Jesus wants to be with us. And I find that fascinating. Fifthly, heaven is the absence of sin. Verse 27, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is abominable or detestable or false. That reminds me of Bunyan. Guys, remember reading Pilgrim's Progress, those of you who have read it. If you have not, I encourage you to read it, (laughs) to read it to your children. There are children's version of it. But Bunyan says when he's describing the celestial city, he says, and I noticed that even at the entrance of heaven, there is a gate that leads to hell. And this is what Bunyan is illustrating, that Revelation is describing heaven, but still reminds the reader But those fornicators, liars, abominable, detestable, they will not enter. Because heaven is the absence of sin. And that for the true believer is heaven. The absence of sin. Judas 21 says, or Jude 21, to him who is able to present you spotless without blame. Can you picture the day that you will have no more regrets, no more lament, no more shame, no more sadness over your sins? Because yes, we're forgiven, but we still struggle, don't we? We still feel like, boy, I wish, I wish I would have... I wish that would have not happened to me when I was 20, 30, 40, 50. The older you get, the more stuff you gather and you pick up. There's going to be this day that Jesus will present you to himself spotless and without blame. You will not be ashamed. You, you will not wonder, am I, am I calmed today? Am I, is everything looking for you? You're not going to worry about those things. You'll be spotless. Heaven is that place that Peter says, it's Second Peter 3, it's new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. In Isaiah 11, there's this allegorical depiction of eternity. And there's lions grazing with cows and, and, and bears grazing with lambs and and, and Children playing with a cobra. And it's a wonderful depiction. But then there's this line that I love. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And here's the reason. Because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the earth. As the oceans are all over the planet so will be the knowledge of God. And there will not be any unrighteousness in that place. Heaven is the answer to this prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I have to stop here and say, but if your praying is, bless me, 
and bless my family and bless my children and give me and do this for me because your connection, your relationship with God is just that this utilitarian being, celestial magician or provider in heaven that is there just to satisfy my needs, but I have no concern over his glory, his kingdom, his will, his righteousness, his purposes, the glory of his son, the kingdom of his son. That is not in my mind. In my mind, it's only me, my life, and my circumstances. Then, then heaven has no meaning for you. For heaven to have meaning for you, something has to happen first. And it is that Jesus has to purchase you, give you a new nature, regenerate you, give you a new heart and a new mind where these things will be attractive to you, much more attractive than any delight, than any pleasure that you can think of about earth. Heaven, sixthly, is also comfort and consolation. Revelation 21.4. It's one of my favorite texts. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things passed away. Your griefs will pass. Whatever they are. Your pains will pass. Your tears will be wiped. I'm not promising that Christianity is going to make you happy and successful in this life. I was listening this morning to a famous radio station, and the lady was encouraging people, telling them how valuable they are, how important they are, how wonderful they are, how they have meaning. And I told my wife, this is my problem. I, this is my problem. People have an eternal soul, and that eternal soul will not perish let me say this to you because maybe it is the last time I say it. I don't want to die, but I don't know when I'm going to die. You either go to heaven or to hell. You either have eternal life or you will be eternally lost. And let me say this with love. I don't give a hood how valuable you and I are on this earth. I do care for your soul because Jesus says, the whole world is not enough to pay for your soul. All the gold in the planet, all the riches in the planet, everything available is not sufficient to purchase your soul. God had to pay for it. And that's what I really care about. So I cannot promise you that your griefs, your griefs will disappear. I cannot promise you that you will have a meaningful life and that you will have purpose, and that you will have riches, and that you will prosper. And if you give offerings in this church, nothing is going to happen to you. You'll just lose money. If you want to give it for the Lord, awesome. It's between you and Him. But there's no promise for giving anything to anyone. But <laughs> your griefs will end. Your pain, if you're in Christ, will end. Your anxieties, your fears your regrets, your laments, they will end. The sleepless nights will end. There will not be any more nights. The pain of betrayal, the pain of betraying, 
the pain of being a victim, the pain of having been a victimizer, it will end. Because heaven is that place that there will be unimaginable bliss. That is my seventh point. 22.3 No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. And they will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Seeing the face of Christ. Seeing God in the face of Jesus. That is heaven. That makes you yawn or makes you boring. That's your problem. <laughs> but that's a promise. That is what is being offered to those who are of Jesus. If that doesn't appeal to you, I don't know how long ago you raised your hand and walked down the aisle. I'll tell you, I did it 43 years ago. 43 years ago. Raised my hand, walked down the aisle. But I came to the Lord last night, just in case. Because my hope and my trust is not that I raise my hand and walk down the aisle. And I said the little prayer of Jesus coming to my heart. And some clown told me, you're saved, always saved, because you said the prayer. No. My hope is built on nothing else but on Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And every day I remind God, I'm here, but not in my name. I'm here because you said that any sinner can come to you in the name of Jesus. And I'm asking you for this. Sometimes I even ask for a miracle. This week I ask, hey, give me this miracle, please. I don't like to bother you too much. But in the name of Jesus and for your glory, give me this one. It, it seems that he's going to answer me that miracle. It's not for me. It's for a friend of mine. 1 Corinthians 2.9, things that I have not seen. Unimaginable bliss. Ears have not heard are those that God has prepared for those who love him. Ha, you will say. But Paul is not talking about heaven in that passage in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He's talking about revelation. And he says, and God has revealed them to us. And I say, amen. You're thinking biblically. However, <laughs> revelation doesn't stop with scripture. Many things Jesus did that are not written in this book, because if they were written in books, the world would not be sufficient for them. Oh, let me find them out. No, no, keep reading the book while you're here. But when you cross, <laughs> you will be exposed to an infinite God that is inexhaustible in his attributes, in his being, in his works, and for eternity upon eternity, Eons upon eons, we will be just drinking of that never exhausting fountain of who God is and who Christ is and what his purposes and plans has been. Second Corinthians twelve four, Paul says, I don't know if I died. Maybe he was talking when he was stoned at Lystra. And disciples took him out of the city and they thought he had died. He was stoned by the Jews. 
I don't know if I, if I was dead or if I was in some trance. He doesn't even bother to explain. He says, but I went to the third heaven. And I heard ineffable things that are not given men to explain. By the way, if you have one of those books that somebody who went to heaven or a movie of the child who went to heaven, you can burn it away. Because Paul said, I cannot tell you guys what I heard. It's ineffable, unutterable sayings. What I saw, I cannot even describe it to you. But whatever it was, he told the Philippians, I want to die and be with Christ. Because that that is much, much, exceedingly much better. And in the grammar, he's like, like, more best. But you don't say more best. Well, well, here I'm going to write more best. Because I need to give you a sense of how indescribable and amazingly blissful this place is. Psalm 16:11 describes it as the pleasures that are at God's right hand forevermore. Pleasures. Because heaven is much, much better. And I need to use this illustration I also learned from the late Ted Donnelly that I love about heaven. He says that this little boy, four or five years old, comes to mom and dad. He says, why do you guys sleep together? Oh, why? What am I going to tell these four or five years old? Well, the father says, because, because your mom and I love each other. And because we love each other, we sleep together. And the little boy says, Aha! Now I know what you do in bed. And the father says, Like you should do with your children, by the way. Don't, don't lead them. Let them ask you, and you answer what they ask. What do you think we do? You share a chocolate bar. <laughs> and the dad said, Actually, it is much better what we share. And that's heaven. Do you think the pleasures of sex are the epitome of pleasure? Some people lose their lives over that. Some people waste themselves. I was reading this morning. Why was I reading that? I don't even know. But I was reading it. Four ladies found in a ditch in Atlantic City. Twenty... 23, 34, or 35, and 42. All of them given to prostitution. One of them was a model mother. But she went south, got into cocaine, prostitution, destroyed their lives, and some serial killer got rid of them. If I read the news right, I I had to stop reading it. But why do people waste their lives over that? Let me share something happened to me not too long ago. So I was examining the lives of my high school friends. I said, boy, I must have missed something because they had this so much fun when they were young. And when I was 21, I was getting up early in the morning to go preach at a little town, riding a bus. And they were just at the beach enjoying girls and having fun. And the thought crossed me. But then I see many of their lives today. And with tears, I tell the Lord, I'm I'm not any better than them, but thank you 
that you spared me from that. Because the pleasures of serving God cannot be compared. But it's just a little dim thing in whatever pleasure you obtain on this life compared to those delights at God's right hand forevermore in eternity. And who are these for? I'll tell you who are they for. Jesus said it. The poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who weep, they will be comforted. Those who are meek, they shall inherit the earth. Those who are pure in heart, they will see God. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, always confessing the same. Does it happen to you? Like, boy, I don't grow. Always confessing the same stupid things. When am I going to become more holy? In heaven, you will be satiated. You will be gorged. You're hungry for righteousness? You feel some hunger now because you want me to finish and go eat? Nothing compared to the satiation you will have of righteousness on that side. But it is for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness now. It is for those who suffer persecution on account of righteousness. They are the fanatics. They are the idiots. They are the ones who are missing out. They are the dumb who do not think, who do not understand science. They are the stupid ones on earth. They, they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Their reward is great, Jesus says, in heaven. Heaven will fulfill God's intent in creating us. Because heaven is not being in a cloud playing the violin or the cello or being in a service for all eternity. Can you imagine, kids? Heaven will be listening to a sermon for eons and eons. No, it will not be. Promise you. Don't let those paintings of the Middle Ages deceive you. Heaven is new bodies created in the likeness of Christ's body. LeBron James could not take one one-on-one -on -one with me on my glorified body. Nor Michael Jordan. Otani would not strike me out in my glorified body. That's heaven. It's new heavens and new earth. It is enjoying what God made us to be for. You come to my age, you know what you realize? Boy, boy, boy. How do I make the money I make in Komatsu? Because if they really knew... They would have fired me decades ago. You see people on LinkedIn. Do you do that? You see your friends on LinkedIn? Say, wow, this guy is awesome. I mean, when you work with them, they were kind of dumb. But LinkedIn says that they are superstars. See, but I could not even write that of me on LinkedIn. It's okay. In heaven, you will fulfill the purpose for which God made you. You will glorify God in body, soul, and mind. You will live with a purpose. Don't worry about finding your purpose on this life. Don't worry about discovering the champion in you on this life. Serve God in humility, in meekness, in nothingness. Live for Him. Seek His kingdom. Glorify His name with anything you got. And one day... The righteous will shine as the stars in the firmament. It is a promise from God, not me. What will heaven be like? Creation renewed. 
No more death, no more pain, no more illness, no more crying, no more weeping, no dividing frontiers among the nations, no worries. You don't need to be a nationalistic when it comes to heaven. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and race, and color, and language will be worshiping the Lamb. Beloved, we are not yet what we will be. We are not yet what God has intended us to be. But when he comes, it will be manifest what we will be. Because we will be transformed and renewed. And we'll see him as he is. I finish with this quote from Donnelly. Much about heaven that we would like to know is not revealed in scripture. But this is not because the human writers were incompetent. It is rather because their purpose was evangelistic and pastoral. Scripture reveals to us all about heaven that we need to know at present. May God fill you with Christ and with the hope of heaven, which you see in his face forevermore. Father, bless your word. Encourage your people and use it for your purposes and for your glory. And if there is anyone here this morning that has lived for himself or herself, that all that fills their minds is being moral and nice and good people, but their glory is far from you, reveal yourself to them, show them their need of Christ, invade their minds, their souls, and their spirits, make them alive, and bring them to Christ in faith and repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.